Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, Organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc., You don't know what to expect, but now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies, and now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and (laughs) my, um, (laughs) which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, Me Undies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Me Undies, comfort from the outside in. 
It's the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. This is the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And today is Tuesday. We had a very important and special episode come out on our Patreon yesterday where we went through all 34 players who are in the Million Players Club. We count down from number 34, who is Andy Dorfman, by the way. We go all the way to number one, who is Hannah Brown, of course. But everything in between is incredibly interesting. So if you have not checked Mm -hmm. that out yet, please go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Game of Roses, and you can listen to the entire thing. Yeah, it was a marathon of an episode. And there's some facts about players that... We learned doing it that I didn't even know. One player, for example, quit playing the game before Instagram even existed, yet somehow is on the million club list. Fascinating. So please check that out. And today we have something equally special prepared for you. As you may know, wherever you are in the world, we have been dealing with a COVID pandemic for the last little over a year at this point, and it has affected our game drastically. And now as we are moving out of the pandemic effects, as life is returning, at least here in Los Angeles, to somewhat normal, June 15th, we're going to be fully open again. There are massive amounts of people being vaccinated. Pace Case and I were just looking at maps of which neighborhoods have the highest level of vaccination. Some are as high as 80%. It's the richest neighborhoods. (laughs) As you might expect, but the COVID rates here are down very low. Pace Case just told me that this past week we had 500 new cases in LA, and that's remarkably low. So things appear to be moving back to some kind of normalcy. So we thought today we would go back and take a look at the top 10 most important things that happened to our beloved game during the bulk of the pandemic over the course of this last year because it had drastic effects on a wide array of different elements of our game. And I think in most cases, these will be permanent effects. These will be very lasting things that we see marching forward into Katie Thurston's season. It has only been a year and a couple months but it feels like 10 years in many ways (laughs) the first item number 10 is something that feels like it happened 10 to 20 years ago (laughs) i mean that's just an effect i think on all of us from being trapped in our houses for a year and a half is time doesn't feel the same anymore it's so strange (laughs) i i don't know like if what we're about to say number 10 is, I can't remember if this happened yesterday or 100 years ago. I know neither of those is yes. true, but they both feel real. We are all Kit Keenan wandering through the woods on that hide-and-seek date with no concept of time or space. Let's try to anchor ourselves in some mm-hmm. concept of time and space. Let's begin this pace case with number 10. The number 10 most important thing that happened to our beloved game during the pandemic, which is still going on, but during the bulk of the pandemic, is uh, listen to your heart. <laughs> this happened over a year ago. Listen Heard to your it? heart aired, by the way. 
it's been, <laughs> we've been through so much since we started covering Listen to Your Heart. Uh, we definitely thought it was going to do a lot better ratings wise than it ended up doing. We were like, oh, COVID, everyone's at home. Everyone's going to watch Listen to Your Heart. And no one did. It was The Bachelor's attempt at a spinoff that merged dating with a musical competition. And by many accounts, it failed. But it did give us some new additions to the player pool, including the first player we ever had on our podcast and the number two TikTok player in the nation, Danny Padilla. And the number one YouTube player in the nation uh, as well. I mean, he crushes everybody on his YouTube channel. We also got Natasha Bessez from Listen to Your Heart, who recently had her music video with Mike Johnson that Pace Case liked a lot. Lula to la Luna. Uh, we had Chris and Bree, the winners. That was historic. Chris Watson was the first black player to win a ring in the history of any Bachelor show. Bachelorette, Bachelor. Bachelor Pad, Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor Winter Games, and they for the remain- U.S. a U.S. show. We don't have yeah, we don't have knowledge of the international seasons at this point, but and then yeah. he and his co-ring winner Bree returned on Bachelorette season sixteen to perform a a special serenade of the winners, who we'll get to in a later piece of today's episode. We had Rudy and Matt Renato making Moody. And we obviously had Sheridan Reed with his luscious hair, luscious hats. We had Travis with his cheating ways. And <laughs> I just remember when Listen to Your Heart started, we didn't fucking know how long pandemic was going to happen, how long bubble was going to happen. And so we were like, oh, this will be an interesting little mm-hmm. something to break it up, something to tide us over until they'll probably start shooting Bachelorette in like a month or two. And that obviously did not happen. No. But the longest off season of all time. I feel like Listen to Your Heart was, it was just a misguided attempt. They had something here. I even think they had the right cast. These players were interesting. They just didn't have the correct structure of the game. It should have been more of like a hardcore competition, I think, like music competition. And the dating should have been secondary to it. They all should have been Mm -hmm. able to go on dates and like even forced to go on dates with each other and stuff. But that component of it where you had to, somehow convey your relationship (laughs) connection on stage was absurd. The element of forced faked chemistry game on stage was by far the worst element of listen to your heart. I think the other main thing that they were missing was they didn't have any players to ground us in who were from previous seasons. I think they should have brought on Luke Pell, even Jed Wyatt bring in, Someone who we ha- are familiar with because that is what anchors Bachelor in Paradise, which is presumably the formula they were trying to follow, is you have these people that you already know stuff about and you're following them. And this was just like, everyone is brand new. They don't seem, they seem to be making up the rules as they go along. The players didn't even know what they were signing up for. It was just mishandled in terms of the producing. But we also did get to see a glimpse and listen to your heart of some real hardcore producer manipulation that we would see then play out in subsequent seasons of the main game. 
but what they did to Travis, where they mm-hmm. brought, they purposely cast Natasha Best as because she is friends with his ex who he cheated on. And they brought her into the show to blow him up on purpose. It was kind of a Chase Rice situation from Peace Season 24, what they did to Victoria mm-hmm. Fuller. Um, <laughs> except this was immediately right in your face. As soon as Natasha Bessas walked into the show, she was coming in hot with a fucking mission given Direct to her by attack. the producers. Where, <laughs> who are the people who are here? Is there someone named Travis? Yes. Or what was his name? Not Travis. <laughs> What was his name? Wait, it was Trevor. Was it Trevor? Trevor? <laughs> it's Trevor. <laughs> That's how long ago I have. We don't even remember this guy's name. I can't even remember. We started calling him Travis. One of the things that I was most impressed with, and I think who got some of the most out of the show, was Rudy. She was able to keep this will they, won't they thing going with Matt Renato and... And like she recently outed him by posting screenshots or or something revealing that he had had a girlfriend the whole time or something. She's been able to play up that parasocial game in in an amazing way. And I think, given no pandemic, alt universe, she would have been on Bachelor in Paradise. Same with a few of these people. I still think they got a shot. Maybe I'm Ooh. romanticizing the the impact of Listen to Your Heart. Maybe I'm just. <laughs> naively hopeful for these players but i think some of them might wind up in paradise i i can feel it a little bit what natasha best i think they should that throw them in video, i mean fuck i think mike johnson's gonna be in paradise <sighs> mike Par- mike mike paradise that's what we should just call him <laughs> mike johnson is living his own paradise at the moment in the big apple i he- Abigail just posted screenshots where he's like sniffing her hair. She's with Joe Park. We'll I mean, get to it. Yeah, we'll be That's, discussing this in Twitter. It's but. crazy. But number 10 was Listen to Your Heart, the unfortunately short-lived and failed attempt by our Bachelor producers to make this. What could have been so fucking interesting? They just really dropped the ball. It disappoints me. I agree because there is something very entertaining about the musical element that's why shows like american idol and shit do so well the performance aspect could have been a compelling side piece of this and by the way remember how good natasha's performances were on the show with that with ryan ryan neal she was amazing and trevor holmes is trevis's real name (laughs) that just came to me (laughs) anyway that's listen to your heart. Uh, trip down memory lane. Let's move on. Uh, case. What is the number nine? Speaking, listen to your heart was the last pre-pandemic Bachelor Nation show. What came after is our number nine most important moment of the pandemic. This is the bubble season. We have the pandemic. Shit is crazy. They're like, how are we ever going to film a TV show again? This doesn't seem essential. It seems dangerous, especially a dating show where people are making out, swapping viral loads. <laughs> but <laughs> news started filtering in to the nation through social media that the show had figured out a way that they could shoot while the world was still in quarantine. 
They were going to sequester an entire resort in Palm Springs and force everyone into a bubble, similar to the one the NBA forced players into to finish the 2020 season. And in La Quinta, it was going to be literally 120 degrees the entire time. So everyone was sweating buckets. This had several different effects. You have the heat, which is affecting the types of dates that you can have. You have special guests that are brought in that have to be quarantined for multiple days. You have the mini scandal of DLH leaving the bubble and JoJo attempts to fill in. You have, and by the way, that showed that someone else technically could do DLH's job. Um, Technically could stand in the same place. I said technically. Register an image and sound on video. But she could not do the job. Oh, my God. Sorry to say it. (laughs) How dare you speak so ill of our member of the Two Million Club. Number two. I don't want to reveal certain information, but let's just say I saw JoJo's tings. They were not good. They were (laughs) not good. That reveals a lot of information. (laughs) Clues have seen the tank tapes. (laughs) They didn't measure up. They didn't. But we had these bubble season effects. They showed everyone getting COVID tests up their nose at La Quinta. You had this emphasis on knock-knocks. There was a very low production value of the set design. We had some COVID PTCs. Both Dale Moss and Claire shared parallel COVID PTCs. We had... The impact of this on hometowns, where all of the families had to be flown in. Ivan Hall's father traveled despite being extremely high risk. There were scooters. There was some, a lot of scootering around. <laughs> they redressed this one set over and over again for the group dates. And it also had a profound psychological effect, I think, on the players. Because in the normal game... You are flying all over the place. By week three or four, you're doing domestic travel to exotic locales like Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> then eventually you're going international. Like you'll wind up in Australia like on PP's season. You'll wind up in Algarve, Portugal, like season 23, Colton Underwood. You'll wind up in Peru, like season 22, Ari Leindyke. Those Finland, Nick Vial. Oh, God, who could forget Finland in a strange Santa Claus knee-deep in snow, beckoning him and Vanessa Grimaldi into a small hut out in the woods. How romantic. It's the creepiest fucking thing I've ever seen. Anyway, you have the illusion of freedom as a player. You're out on boats. You're taking helicopter rides. You're in new places. It's like a vacation. So the producer's manipulations... It has a lot less of a prison vibe. Yes. And the producer's manipulations aren't as easily seen or felt by the players. But in this bubble season, like when they fucking made those guys go do cage fighting, it wasn't just like you're going to have to go box each other. They ushered them into a ballroom in La Quinta, already an enclosed room. Within that room is now a cage. Get inside the cage and beat the shit out of each other. And by the way, the other players are watching you. So Mm. there's like a cheering crowd. It's such a strange psychological kind of trap that all these players were in. Even when you saw things like uh, Blake Moynes 
crash the group date that he wasn't on. These things seemed just like so boxed in. All of it did. And I think that that had a, a pretty profound effect on the players so that when they come out of it, and this is something that we'll get to a little bit later, one of the other most important things, when they come out of that experience, it is much more like a basic training in the military where you have gone through something together. This isn't just mm-hmm. like we were on a fun reality show. It's like we went through some shit together. And I think that these bubble seasons have uh, forged a tighter bond between the players than we've ever seen before on any other season. I think you also, the producer manipulation is more naked because in order to have a knock-knock, that person has to have quarantined. So you can't have like an ex-boyfriend showing up and it seeming like he did it of his own accord. You're like, oh no, he showed up. The producers kept him in a room for four days before he could come and talk to me. Same with the Council of Crowns. Or Ed Weisbrot showing up in the darkness at Dark Lord Harrison's room. It's like, obviously, the producers have yeah. made all of this happen. God, and we had to watch that horrible ghost date. <laughs> that wasn't probably related to COVID, but... um, That also created this vibe in Nemecolin where... Again, you have this, the building felt much more like a prison and it just upped the ante of the drama, the rivalries, and it made all of the things that producers were doing seem more fucked up. Completely. Because especially in Nima Colon, when you've got the main player pool, and then in episode three, I believe it was, they bring in five new players. Or maybe that was episode, yeah, it was episode three. Maybe four. It's like, they're not just coming onto the show. They're literally penetrating this bubble. All the other players now have formed this, whatever their relationships are with like Victoria Larson and shit, maybe they don't like her, whatever, but they have been through this experience together. And you saw when those five new players came in, they immediately were like, fuck them. Those are the freshmen or the JV or whatever the fuck. MJ called them and we're the varsity. Mm -hmm. They immediately delineated a difference in their minds. And it was, I think, largely due to the fact that they were in this bubble. They had been going through this fucking crucible of psychological torture that these other players, at least in their minds, hadn't yet. Meanwhile, what they don't know is mm-hmm. these other players have been doing the exact same had fucking thing. Had to quarantine forever. Exactly. They've been <laughs> locked in a fucking room, only talking to producers through phone calls and like daily knockings on the door to deliver food to them and shit. So they've been going through it as well. I think it just really... it. It ups the anxiety of all the players. It ups their competitive nature, their jealousy, all of the kind of negative effects that the game usually promotes. The bubble seasons have exacerbated them to levels we've never seen. And we have one more bubble season left. Katie Thurston. Mm -hmm. We don't know how that's going to work. It's obviously out in New Mexico, and the weather's going to be a little nicer, so hopefully they'll get to do some outdoor stuff and at least give the illusion of freedom. But it's going to be the same practically the same uh construction of a season where everybody's sequestered to their hotel rooms and they get they bring you out to do your one date or your group date or whatever and, and that's mm-hmm. that we already saw Tasha and caitlin the interim hosts posting on their instagram stories that they're bored and trapped in their rooms these are the hosts of the show think about what the fucking players are going through <laughs> yeah they get their phones Speaking of phones and social media, number eight on our list is something very important that happened very early on 
in the pandemic, we are talking about the formation of a group known as the Quarantine Crew. This was the first time we had ever truly seen the purposeful creation of a Bachelor-related content machine that included some of the biggest players in the game, the biggest Instagram players of all time, Hannah Brown, Tyler Cameron, and Matt James, obviously, who would become the next Bachelor. At the time, he wasn't. But as soon as the word went out, we're in lockdown, everybody's got to stay in their houses, Hannah Brown flew to fucking Florida, Tyler Cameron picked her up at the airport, and they were making TikToks within 24 fucking hours. This was one of the most calculated and well-executed social media plans from players we have ever seen in the history of the game. I know there are, like, TikTok houses in LA where these young youths get together and, like, form content, but we had never seen it before for Bachelor Nation, and I wonder if we are going to start to see that more and more. Oh, for bachelor sure. players living together. I think we're going to see bachelor players living together and creating these social media pods with one another. I mean, we already kind of saw it with X's in the city, the now defunct or mm-hmm. at least put on hold X's in the city with Yes. Uh, <laughs> who is that? Kit Keenan, Chelsea Vaughn, Abigail Herringer and Piper, Piper James. James. That is yeah. a four horsewomen of its own making. And I think they're going to be very successful after they come off Paradise. We're going to want to listen to their podcast because they're going to then be able to talk about what they did on Paradise and shit. And it's going to be fascinating. And I think Quarantine Crew really is kind of the, um, it's the grandfather of everything that's mm-hmm. about to come. But Quarantine Crew, I think, is, it is really, it marks a moment in the social media realm of our beloved game that we just have never seen before. It also was the, method to which we as bachelor nation in the off season had barely any content it was essentially here's like a low budget version of the bachelor through which we are going to demonstrate the will they won't they tension of the hannah brown tyler cameron relationship where everybody was evaluating their body language in it and like are they sleeping together are they not well they're very close here um in a way that I think many Bachelor players should try to replicate from now on, have a will-they-won't-they thing going on with one other person. It doesn't need to be real, but you get articles about you. Mike Johnson is making like a late-stage career out of this. He's got a will-they-won't-they thing going with like 10 different people right now. It's fucking incredible. Yes. Who will be his fourth queen? There's hundreds (laughs) of queens in the running (laughs) that should be his podcast mike johnson and the hundred queens (laughs) yes (laughs) i really think he needs to lean into that for his his branding finding that fourth queen and by the way we will get to it but one of the most important parts of the quarantine crew is that it set us up for our first black bachelor matt james without that familiarity with bachelor nation i don't know if he could have been cast without ever having played the game i completely agree well he was already cast for claire crawley's season he was going to be a player 
So the producers already knew who he was. That was obviously through Matt James or through uh, Tyler Cameron and Hannah Brown. So they kind of ushered him through the process, put him at the front of the line. But then the producers got to see what he was like during the quarantine crew footage. They got to see the funny little things he was doing with Tyler Cameron. And they're like, oh, this is going to be great. He can be the guy. I think that was quarantine crew definitely was at least partially responsible for him getting the crown. I also think these abs and workout sessions that are filmed will translate perfectly to in-show Peloton ads. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's already doing them. And I don't think we should overlook brown bear visuals. Brown bear visuals was part of the quarantine crew and shot most of their material. So this idea that not only are there these pods of bachelor players, ex-bachelor players making social media, living together, whatever. There are also these people who do the media, the people who are shooting it, editing it, all that stuff, putting it together. That is now a career. Brown Bear Visuals does other stuff, but he's always doing Matt James, always doing Tyler Cameron. I don't know who's doing the Lion Dyke social media, but these, this kind of like tier of people who are making the YouTubes, who are making the TikToks, who are making the Instagrams for all these Bachelor players, those people are becoming more prominent. And Quarantine Crew really is where you saw one of them become like a part of the social media itself. Brown Bear Visuals is like if Entourage happened in 2020. (laughs) He would be Turtle, and he (laughs) becomes really good at filming and editing. (laughs) (laughs) you know what nobody ever wants to be the turtle of entourage but unfortunately you're correct (laughs) that is brown bear visuals all right maybe he could be the the brother i mean ryan cameron did get a lot of that runoff from tyler they did a little mini bachelorette season for him they had him go on zoom dates and filmed them speaking of Mini Bachelor Nations, low-budget Bachelor in Paradise. Our number seven most important moment of the pandemic is a New York moment. New York is the new stagecoach. Tons of players are meeting and hanging out before Paradise at a level we've never seen before. We have... X's in the city to possibly look forward to of the the new sex in the city for the for Gen Z coming out of the players from Matt James's season. And players are moving. Piper James moved to New York to be part of this moment. Pep Pep moved to New York. He's living with Dustin Kendrick. They're doing a fucking <laughs> podcast. Who's Everyone Popeye? is in New Yorker. Popeye. Pep Pep is pee pee. Popeye. Popeye pee pee pep pep. You know what I mean? Um, okay. <laughs> yep, I could keep up now. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway. Yeah. Popeye moved to New York. You want to be, if you're an ex player, you want to move to one of these hubs because if you're out fucking in Oregon or something, who's going to make content with you? We see this. You know who we see this from? My Kenna. Yep. Stuck in Canada alone. And look, she's doing the best that she can with that content. I loved the video that she made, which was like, 
I'm about to surprise one of my Bachelor Nation friends who's come to visit me and like records it. And then it's just, she's just like, just kidding. It's just me. No one will visit me <laughs> I know. in Canada. Poor McKenna. <laughs> McKenna, get to New York. What are you waiting for? Move there. Get yeah. into one of these pods and start your social media dominance. I just found this very interesting that LA kind of was this in a prior generation. Mm-hmm. And I think because yeah, there's it's no probably the city the most players live in. Yeah, because they want to move out here and try and get into the entertainment industry or whatever. But I think they're realizing like the entertainment industry is just in your phone. Like you don't need to actually be in Hollywood or anything to fucking make shitloads of money making media. And so you can be anywhere. And New York is you know, whatever. Some people like it, I guess. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> but uh, if you like they, the cold... Some people and, say it's the greatest city in the world. Yeah. If you like it being sweltering hot during the summer, extremely cold during the winter, and smelling like piss and shit always, New York is the city for you. I prefer LA, but whatever. They have... um. You know what? Stuff is open really late. You can get any type of food at any time. That's nice. Um the the statue of liberty (laughs) yeah it's got its charms it's just not for me i'm an la gal for me (laughs) i am too i i don't foresee myself leaving los angeles there are just too many benefits but that said all these players moving to new york i think doesn't happen without the pandemic because things like stagecoach are they're like these release valves Mm -hmm. when you want to get together with other bachelor players and make your content oh it's all meet up and stagecoach and then you do a little run of that coachella coachella exactly without these music festivals because the pandemic shut them down for a year all these players were forced to like figure out what the fuck are we going to do to keep our engagement up to appear in each other's posts and keep that social media train rolling and they were like fuck it let's just i'll go to new york and they're all there now they're literally all there And I'm very curious to see how long New York maintains dominance and are we moving into this era that's kind of like rap was in the late 80s, early 90s, where it was like East Coast, West Coast, you know? Who's the West Coast Bachelor? I think it's like Nick Vial. I think you're going to start to see like different coalitions competing with each other. At least on Bachelor in Paradise, you'll have like the Nashville contingent and they'll all be bonded way more than... They are with the people in New York. Who can win engagement season? Which is the season after you play and try to get engagement on your social media. (laughs) I'm still hopeful it's Los Angeles. Zozil media. Ben Smith is out here. He's got a gym on Beverly. Blocks away from We got Vial. We got Ben Smith. We got... Where's Caitlin Bristow? Is she here? Nashville. Mm, Queen of Nashville for that country music thing. Okay, well, who's in LA? Who's big in LA? Becca Martinez in LA. Where's Hannah Brown? LA. I think she's out here. Where does Hannah Brown live? Los Angeles. Oh, and Koof. Koof is here now. We still got some heavy hitters out here. Don't you worry about that. Speaking of heavy hitters, the number six most important moment of the pandemic is that we got double bachelorettes. For the first time ever, we are going to have two 
bachelorettes back to back. How will having zero off-season affect the game and ratings? My prediction is that Michelle Young's season will probably have the worst ratings of any season in the history of the main game season in the history of the game. I don't think people are going to want to fucking watch another Bachelorette season after they've just gone through whatever Katie Thurston season's about to be, a whole Bachelor in Paradise, and we're still trying to rid ourselves of the poison in our veins from Bachelor season 25. That season was not fun for anyone. Like, I have not heard from anyone, hey, I really liked Bachelor season 25. Everybody walked away from that feeling unclean. And so we need some time to fucking process it and move on. And we're just not being given the time. Certainly, we're not being given the time to ramp up our excitement. To miss it. Exactly. There is no off season. So I think Michelle Young's season is going to suffer. But I also think this double bachelorette announcement doesn't happen without the pandemic. Because pandemic leads to Black Lives Matter protests, which leads to first black bachelor, which leads to... Bachelor Nation wanting to hold the franchise more accountable and demanding change, which leads to no DLH, which leads to Caitlin and Tasha <laughs> double hosting. So we have a white bachelorette and a black bachelorette hosting. And that also leads to, well, we've announced a white bachelorette. Now let's also announce a black bachelorette. We got a lot of... Uh instinctual knee-jerk reactions to events during the pandemic including casting matt james including being like taisha and caitlin are gonna host as we know now it looks like dlh was supposed to come back for thurston's season so these decisions are being made fast and they're and they are big decisions I think the way that I would do it if I were a producer, put on my little producer bonnet, I would say take, like, craft Bachelor in Paradise storylines to lead directly into Michelle Young's season. Have some man get super heartbroken at the end and have him on Michelle's season. Interesting. Will they be able to do that, though? Because Bachelor in Paradise starts shooting in, what, a month? All right, maybe you do it with Thurston season, <laughs> <laughs> which you've already shot. Yeah, that's hard. So good luck. Do that in the editing. <laughs> yeah, the producers are very good at destroying their own seasons. I don't know if they're very good at creating extremely intricate plots that work out in the end. You know, I think more often than not, they right. fucking end in disaster. But I agree with you. That's a fantastic fucking strategy if they could do it, if they could pull it off. I I just really think that the continuity element, again, what we were saying with the listen to your heart, you want to watch these people continue. You start to love these characters and you want more of them. That's why you get spinoff shows of Married at First Sight where you're like, well, I still want to watch them and see what happens. Carry them through the season. Maybe Blake Moynes comes back for a young season too. Completely. There's just something to me about also, the, the flip-flopping of gender, going from bachelor to bachelorette to bachelor to bachelorette, bachelor to bachelorette, I like mm-hmm. that. I want to see, I mean, the women players are just better, period. There's no real argument yeah. about that. The bachelor, to me, is the best of all the games. I like Bachelor in Paradise a little better. It's like more entertaining, 
But in terms of like mm-hmm. just play what you're watching, The Bachelor is like that's Major League Baseball. The Bachelorette is a little not. It's like Triple A. It's a notch down because the guys just aren't as good at at playing. And I'm not sure that I want to see two seasons of that back to back. Maybe the guys will elevate gameplay. I don't know, but I always want like I I like the pattern they have. Bachelor, Bachelorette. Bachelor in Paradise off season. Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise off season. That extra Bachelorette in the off season, I think, is going to wear us out and wear us down, and it might even affect ratings for Bachelor season twenty six because you're going to have about three weeks off after Michelle Young's season before Bachelor twenty six starts first week in January. I mean, as we talked about in our Million Club Patreon episode. Three-fourths of the people in the Million Club are women. This is a women's game. They are the best at it. They are the best at translating their fame in the game into parasocial power, into SpawnCon. And I would love to see the men of The Bachelorette step up. But it just feels like there's... In The Bachelor, it feels like there's a lot of different players who could be the ring winner, who could go far. In The Bachelorette, it's pretty clear early on who the front runners are. And I think part of that is why we have the FIMP recipients in The Bachelorette doing a lot better than on The Bachelor. It's like, of course that person wins. The other people like carried child-sized dolls in with them. <laughs> I know. It does seem like they they hit the guys a little harder with full edits. They'll usually do maybe like one female player will get a full edit, but they'll fucking hit like three or four Mm -hmm. dudes with them. Yeah. It's fucking Wolverine. (laughs) Wolverine. He got digged. There was a guy dressed as a penguin. I remember that in some season, maybe Hannah Brown season, the fucking gaucho. I mean, we could go on and on, but that was number six. We're going to have two bachelorettes for the first time in a calendar year ever, and we personally believe that it's going to have a little bit of a detrimental effect, at least on ratings, if not on the game as a whole. Time will tell. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back, and the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by HP. Whenever you do your best thinking, the HP Spectre X360 is ready when inspiration strikes. With power save for battery life and focus mode to multitask, you can do your best thinking whenever and wherever it happens. You can't always schedule when and where you might have a brilliant thought, whether it's in the morning or before bed, when you're at your computer or away from it. Thinking can happen anywhere and anytime. The HP Spectre X360 2-in-1 Convertible PC with Windows 10 saves battery life 
for whenever an idea hits you. HP Spectre X360, a more thoughtful laptop. Number five on our list of most important things that have happened to our beloved game because of the pandemic is unionization. This is something that we've talked about already a little bit. These players form tighter bonds because they're in the fucking bubbles. And what we saw happen as a result of the whole fiasco of season 25 is that some of these players decided we're going to fucking stick together, issue social media statements to say what we want out of this franchise, to try and promote movement of the franchise into a more inclusive direction, into a direction that listens to our needs. And so, of course, we know all the players of season 25 issued that Instagram statement where they basically said, Chris Harrison needs to take some time off and we hope the franchise can be a little more diverse. And it had a huge effect on the game. The guys then of season 16 issued a joint statement. You had people like Ivan Hall issuing his own personal statement saying he wouldn't go on BIP if Chris Harrison was the host. We really saw players taking power back in a way that they never have before through solidarity. And then we even saw it balloon out into what Katie Thurston has done by stonewalling Chris Harrison so that he can't come back to the show at all. That's not technically a unionization play, but it was using the power that a player has, especially after being named lead, to really take control of her season and do whatever she wants. And I think she's going to continue doing that in her season as well in ways that we can't even yet imagine. Yeah, I mean, the end result of all of these moves, the unionization plays, the ultimatums, are that they're taking back the power from the producers. They are handcuffing the producers in certain ways. Like, you can't have a Bachelor in Paradise season with Ivan Hall, one a fan favorite, if he is the host. I mean, Thurston's was like, he can't be the host for her Bachelorette season at all, period. Like, then you're, if you have him host, you're basically being seen as forcing Katie Thurston to deal with that. Um, I, the, the first unionization play, the women of season 25, that was one of the most extraordinary things that I feel like we experienced this year. Like it's one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen in the history of the fucking game because it transcended this idea that we are all competing against each other for this one prize or couple prizes to get the ring, to get the crown, to get top four. It became, we all went through this experience together. And I think it's a little bit about what we talked about up top, that being in Nima Colon really forged a bond among them all that is unbreakable because they saw it as it's us against the show. The, mm-hmm. the competition went from we're competing against each other to we are competing against these Machiavellian producers who tried to destroy us by bringing in five extra players who have fucked Matt James over completely, who have ruined Rachel Kirkconnell's life to some degree at that point. And I'm not saying she's not responsible for what she did. She certainly is. But the show handcuffed her from talking about it when she wanted to. They tried to throw her under the bus. It was just a whole fucking nightmare for everyone involved. And I think that really fused this group of players together in a way that we just 
it's never happened before. And I think moving forward, that identity of like, we are the players, we can stand as a united front. I think that's going to start happening mm-hmm. more and more. And ultimately, I think this unionization play might be the harbinger to something even bigger that's outside of Bachelor Nation, which is a union being formed for reality television actors, which does not exist. Mm-hmm. There's a writer's guild. There's a director's guild. There's even a producer's guild. There, and there's obviously an actor's guild, screen actor's guild, SAG. These are unions that make sure anybody who's working in Hollywood in any form of entertainment has certain minimum requirements met for pay, for benefits, all kinds of stuff. That does not exist for reality uh, on-camera talent. Yeah, and when you don't have that, people can be exploited and people can be punished if they are speaking out against injustices or whatever. In this case, when it's everyone, no one can be targeted. No one on The Bachelor gets paid. None of these people get paid money (laughs) for this show that makes a giant corporation $100 million a year. The people in the show, the players, this would be like if you owned a baseball team and you didn't pay the baseball players any money. It's fucking crazy (laughs) to think that that is how this this system works, but it is how it works. The leads will ultimately get a little bit of money. If you become Bachelor or Bachelorette, they'll kick you, you know, there have been different rates thrown around but yeah in that area 100 grand or something but if you're just a player in the game not only are you not getting paid you're paying for all of your own clothes and whatever the two months is that you're going to have potentially have to take off from your job whatever you were able to work out with your employer maybe you get paid for that time maybe you don't but that's on you and i think this thing that we saw these women of season 25 do i really think is opening the door for at least the idea now to exist in players' minds that they might be able to change that contract that Bachelor has held over their heads since 2002. Well, we hope some of these things will happen and everyone will win back their civil rights. <laughs> God, it's so fucking crazy that that's in the contract. Speaking of fundamental changes within the franchise... Our number four most important moment of the pandemic is that the treatment of race has changed drastically. Starting with, we have Dale Moss, the first black ring winner, other than Chris Watson on Listen to Your Heart, but in the main game, we have Tasha Adams become the second black bachelorette and the first black player ever to cross the 1 million Instagram follower threshold. When Taisha was the bachelorette, she started going on dates with her players. There was a particular one-on-one that took place between her and Ivan Hall that was quite possibly the most historically important moment of all time where representation is concerned. As they sat at a table looking at food they weren't allowed to eat, they had an open conversation about being black in America. Ivan Hall talked about his brother Gabe being incarcerated and abused by correctional officers. He invoked George Floyd's name. Adams herself recounted what it was like for her growing up in a predominantly white area of Orange County. And this whole conversation, well, maybe not the whole conversation, but a huge chunk was left in the edit and sent to air. 
we imagine that in the long history of the game, conversations like this have taken place, but the producers put on their producer bonnets and toss them in the cutting room trash can. This helps uphold this illusion that race isn't an issue in the show or in the country at large. But in this moment, we did see this real conversation about it. It was also a great moment for Ivan Hall. It was very 4TRR that he was helping take care of his brother's kid. And it related this personal story to this huge movement that's been going on, which I think probably allows some people in very predominantly white areas more access to understanding race relations through this personal story through we ended up meeting Gabe during the hometowns portion and it was a very humanizing story we also had you know the first black bachelor the most diverse player pool of all time three-fourths of the players that made it to playoffs in Matt James season were players of color which had never happened before in the history of the game and then Matt James was also the first black male player to hit 1 million Instagram followers. There was massive change, at least in what we saw on screen. We know from Bachelor data that just because they had a more diverse player pool didn't mean that white players still didn't get way more screen time. That wound up being true. Yeah. But nonetheless, at the very least, on night one, we got to see more players of color exit the limo than we've ever seen before. And like you're saying, the playoffs, which is very traditionally reserved for white players only. Uh, We got to see three out of four players in the playoffs being players of color. Fantastic in terms of at least what we're seeing on the screen. And I'm curious to see what happens as we move forward. I, I know we have Michelle Young as the next Black Bachelorette coming up at the end of this year. And I'm just curious to see how they treat these things now because season 25, like I don't think the producers want to repeat that either. I don't think anybody who watches the show wants to see something like that, and I don't think they want to do it again because it obviously cost them Chris Harrison. It's a huge fiasco Mm -hmm. if they bring him back or not, if he's going to sue them or not. like They don't want to deal with this shit. So hopefully moving forward, things will be better. But this year really did... This is definitely not to say that like things are perfect. We had... no. horrible horrible things still this season i mean matt james conversation with his father etc etc like they need to take a good look at how they are producing this show but you know just 10 years ago 2011 you had both the bachelor and the bachelorette that year were 100 percent white casts so 10 years ago that's the show we were looking at (laughs) at least now we're here and there are some growing yeah. pains, for sure. But I do feel like this is all moving in the right direction, at least. And if they just continue pushing in that direction, things are going to work out. And they just need to get rid of the maliciousness a little bit. Just pull that back a little bit, producers. I know it's fun to sink <laughs> your teeth into somebody's neck and drink their blood. But just if you can go one <laughs> season without that, I think you're going to see great results in the ratings. Moving on. To the number three most important thing that happened over the course of the pandemic, we are talking about season 16 of The Bachelorette, 
the broken season. We had never seen anything like this in the history of the game Bachelor or Bachelorette where the season ended in like episode three and then they had to restart it with another Bachelorette. And this was due in full to Dale Moss's parasocial dominance and this weird thing that happened with there being five months in between Claire Crawley knowing who all the players were and then the (laughs) season shooting. So she was able to look at all their social media that entire fucking time. She didn't DM any of them, of course. We believe that. And she basically fell in love with Dale Moss because of his fucking Instagram. We had never seen anything like that before either. And to watch how the producers handled all of this, going from moments where they were trying to villainize Claire Crawley for breaking their season, having Dark Lord Harrison sit down, well, <laughs> congratulations, you've just blew up the bachelorette. Those you know, he improv that line. So he says. Uh, those moments. <laughs> the kind of where they forced her and Dale Moss to be like, fine, if this is how you want to play it, you have to get engaged right now. Blah, blah, blah. Like these, these kind of shitty attitudes about like, well, you fucked up the format of our show. Meanwhile, it's like, no, the format mm-hmm. of your show is you're helping someone find their soulmate, right? And you did that. So this is a success that you now have to stand behind, even though they don't. They secretly hate Claire Crawley for it. It was just like a fascinating season to watch. No, for they didn't reason. even invite her to the after the final rose even though they discussed her season. Super pissed at her for this. And I don't know that we'll ever see something like this again where the producers have so little control over what's happening. Although, we are getting early reports that Katie Thurston's season ended early, so not that early, not as early as Claire Crawley, (laughs) but she might have done some stuff in the end that was very similar, where she's like, I found my guy. I don't need to fucking do the rest of this. We're ending it early. No, the most structurally different thing we had seen was Colton ending his season mid-fantasy suite, and he still played out the rest of his season with Cassie. He did the meeting of the family, he did the final rose ceremony, etc. Yeah, this shit was insane. And it also led to another thing that was the, the crackdown of producers on players' social media usage. Obviously. Instagram ruined their season. And then they are aware Mm -hmm. of the fact by season 16, this is when they started doing this. They're aware of the fact that when somebody gets kicked off and they just like in prison, when you get released, you get your personal belongings back. They do that with players as well. And so you get your phone back when you get released from the show. And it used to be that you could immediately go on and start doing whatever you want. In season 16, they said, no, there's a date that you have to wait for, which is when we finish shooting so that people can't see who's like out there in the world back on social media and obviously know that, like, yeah. well, I guess you didn't make it far in the game. And so I think that... Seems be- like an obvious rule. <laughs> well, it really was like social media existed. Certainly we had Instagram influencers in the Paradise era and all that kind of stuff, but it had never had an effect on the game like it did with Dale Moss. And such a drastic effect at that. I mean, can you imagine being a producer on this fucking season? Where you're like, okay, fuck, it's already super hectic because you have to do La Quinta and it's the bubble and who's got COVID and all the the different protocols you have to fucking adhere to and the precautions you have to take. And then you're two weeks into shooting and you're like, oh my God, our bachelorette's going to fucking leave the show. 
you'd go fucking crazy. I'm not saying they have an easy job. That is probably the hardest fucking job of any producer in the history of The Bachelor was Bachelorette season 16. Nonetheless, they dropped the ball in glorious fashion. It was a complete fucking shit show. And I think that made them just lock the fucking screws down even tighter. That they're like, okay, you can't Mm -hmm. fucking post anything until this day. You can't fucking look at anything until this day, which is something they obviously can't totally you control. can't talk about game of roses <laughs> yeah it led to the degorification of the internet that's the most important thing yes. that's our number one but no I, yeah i think season 16 is going to go ba- of bachelorette will go down in history as just one of the most memorable ever and and the one that potentially had the strongest effect on the game you're just never theoretically i mean knock on wood we're never gonna see the crown be able to look at their players for five months beforehand <laughs> that will theoretically never happen again it's it's strange to say this but like it happened once and there are producers who are working on that show who worked on season 16 and probably will for the next five to ten years before they start phasing out they're always going to remember what a fucking nightmare this was and they're going to put mm-hmm every possible contingency they can in place to make sure it never fucking happens again including i think locking people down like once you get cast on the show it might be a thing where like from that moment your social media goes dark Mm -hmm. and we have seen it with a lot of incoming players when they start to get announced like for katie thurston's season all their shit's private most of them yeah even on matt james's season exactly and then you have to wait until they come out of shooting for them to start accepting friend requests and stuff. So you can do almost no preseason work on them until the season's already over in that little window of about like three weeks to a month that we're in now with Katie Thurston's season where you can see that, all right, they're off the show. It's done shooting. The producers are editing the show and figuring out what stories they're going to tell and who's going to get the villain edits and all that shit. I don't know. It, it's interesting. I think that season 16 changed how social media will function within the game forever. I mean, it fucked up our Goracle. We didn't even see Bree Springs' Instagram until the show started airing. So we both missed her as a frontrunner. Um, we will, by the way, we will be doing the player breakdowns, I think, in two weeks. So look forward to that. Katie Thurston's guys. We're going to break them down over two separate episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Should be fun. We'll make all of our predictions about yeah. who's going to win and who's going to be the next Bachelor and who's going to be the villain. Speaking of things that we predicted, because you actually did predict this, when Matt James was cast for Claire Crawley's season, you predicted they would script a run for him through her season to become the first Black Bachelor. But our number two most important moment of the pandemic is... Matt James as the first Black Bachelor. It took 19 years and 25 seasons, but it finally happened. George Floyd was murdered by the police, and a world was changed drastically by the pandemic as BLM protests were mobilizing in every major city across the U.S. and globally. Systemic racism in America was laid bare, and people were doing everything they could to fight against it wherever they saw it, including in the nation. Fans across social media started flooding the official ABC Bachelor Instagram accounts with demands of greater diversity in the show. Rachel Lindsay issued an ultimatum saying she was done with the franchise if they didn't cast the next Bachelor as a black Bachelor. And 
the bachelor diversity campaign gained enough momentum that during the height of the BLM protests, ABC announced the next bachelor immediately after Crawley's broken season would be Matt James. Obviously, this has now ended in a controversy that has threatened to destroy the franchise, but it is still an incredibly important first step that will hopefully open the door for more leads of color in the near future, which already has happened with the casting of another black lead in Michelle Young. We are still, I feel, in the trenches of this controversy. We still don't know what's going to happen with DLH. But 20 years from now, I do think we are going to remember this period of time the most, or one of the most, for giving us Matt James, the first Black Bachelor. Totally. It's a threshold cross. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago. I don't, I don't know exactly how long ago this was, but it was like within five years, I think, there's an interview uh, Dark Lord Harrison is on some red carpet somewhere and some Entertainment Tonight yes. person or somebody's interviewing him. Why haven't you had a Black Bachelor? I just watched this. So it was, bear in mind, this is through the lens of 2018, but E! News asked Chris Harrison on a red carpet if there would ever be a Black Bachelor. A black woman is interviewing him, by the way. And he says, sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no reason not to. My thing has always been for Rachel. I'm glad that Rachel wasn't the first black bachelorette. I'm glad that she was the right woman. She's an amazing woman. That's what I want. Same thing for a man. When we do have, and we will, I just want it to be a great man and a good man. And if he happens to be black, great. (laughs) Essentially implying there have been no great black men on our show. No one that could possibly fill this role. And that's really what we need. They need to be bachelor caliber. A Popeye, a Colton. <laughs> He's also in prior interviews alluded to the fact that Bachelor Nation just isn't ready for a black bachelor. Kind of a, a similar argument that you would hear when, talk, when people would talk about American politics and a first black president before Barack Obama. Are people ready for this? These absurd excuses. They talk about that with a first woman president as well. Like she can't win. Absurd excuses to uphold the status quo that is complete bullshit. So at mm-hmm. least we're through that, that era of the game where the talking heads like Dark Lord Harrison or any other higher up producers or ABC executives were able to use these shitty excuses to justify continued production of an extremely racist television show. That is gone now. And Matt James really was the signifier of it, in my opinion. And that brings us. Two, our number one most important moment from this past year and a change, year and a couple of months, however long we're in it, but the pandemic, this was, I mean, easily the most important thing that happened in our beloved game. It was the Dark Lord Harrison racism scandal. Dark Lord Harrison went on Extra TV on February 9th for a routine interview with Rachel Lindsay about Rachel Kirkconnell and the racist allegations that were coming out about her. And he went on to make history himself by defending Kirkconnell's actions against the woke police and about how the lens of 2018 was different from the lens of 2021. He asked to give her a little grace and a little understanding, a little compassion, 
because he's seen some stuff online, he said, and this judge jury executioner thing where people are just tearing this girl's life apart and diving into like her parents and her parents' voting record. It's unbelievably alarming to watch this, he said. This, of course, led to Rachel Lindsay saying the picture that surfaced of her was from 2018 at an old South Antebellum party. That's not a good look. DLH then, of course, uttered his very famous line now. Well, Rachel, is it a good look in 2018 or is it not a good look in 2021? And Rachel Lindsay says it's not a good look ever (laughs) because she's celebrating the old South. If I went to that party, what would I represent at that party? And DLH flounders, et cetera, et cetera. We, we know what happens in the rest of that interview and what it has led 50 to. 50 million people did that in 2018. An iconic line. <laughs> you know, just the 50 million people who celebrate the Old South every year. You know those 50 million, right? That's a known stat. <laughs> but what this led to was a cascade of events that included Dark Lord Harrison issuing an Instagram apology then issuing another more robust Instagram apology. Then the week after, ABC put him back out in front of the cameras on Good Morning America where he issued a clearly written apology that he looked to have been reading off camera at certain points to Michael Strahan that did not go over well. Nobody bought this shit. And he was then exiled. (laughs) ABC and The Bachelor announced he would not be hosting after the final rose and he had to come out with another statement saying, I'm taking some time away to focus on learning, et cetera, et cetera. All the, the common things that a PR person told him to say. And he went into the long good night where he is still waiting the long good night. for some, uh, <laughs> some response from ABC or The Bachelor to determine if he's ever going to be able to host again. And Lauren Zima, obviously, his longtime girlfriend, is caught in this crossfire as well, resurfacing only very recently to do generic entertainment reporting for Entertainment Tonight, nothing to do with The Bachelor. And she, of course, came out in that photo with Dark Lord Harrison on his Instagram main grid last week where they were attending a wedding together and people thought they might have gotten married, but that was not the case. Uh, But I do think that might be his way out of the long, dark nightmare. Propose for real. I think he's seeing the PR that has come out of that post, and I think... I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more moves in that direction because Bachelor Nation loves a love story if they love anything. This to me was just, it represents such a profound change in the game. Chris Harrison has been the face of the fucking game for every episode since the first one. Other than the one where he had to go out of the bubble and Jojo Jojo attempted to take over. But this is going to be the first full season, Katie Thurston's upcoming season, that we will see that has no Chris Harrison in it. He will not be seen at all. That is a drastic shift. It is a new Is he still going to read the bumpers? Oh my God, please. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Like he read the bumpers introducing the after the final rose Emmanuel Acho where he was replaced. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near this. I don't think you're going to hear him. I don't think you're going to fucking see him. And the show is still in a weird limbo. Taisha and Caitlin obviously aren't the hosts forever. The show still doesn't have a host. That role is fucking crucial. Because it is the voice of authority that tells players what part of the game you're at. This week is hometowns. You're going to have to, you know, stakes are getting higher. Things are getting ratcheted up. 
fantasy suites are coming, all that shit. You need a voice of authority who is outside the game, mm-hmm. but an intrinsic part of it as well. They do not have that right now. And that also helps with this show's longevity. You want to have this. That's why I do think they should choose a permanent replacement. You need that to anchor the show, to have it be this thing that keeps lasting season to season, to have these certain pillars of it that you can always count on. Like, I think it would be interesting to rotate hosts. It's always like a previous crown or something like that. But I think for the show's longevity, if I were to put my producer bonnet on, that's what I would say. I completely agree. Like when you come into Paradise, for example, the way it used to be is Dark Lord Harrison knew all of those players. He had watched them play. He had had conversations with all of them. It's like, good to see you back in Paradise, blah, 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 blah. Who the fuck's going to host Paradise now? Somebody who doesn't know any of these people? Just like, well, here's a beach. Good luck. Pat him on the back. And that's basically all you can do. Jorge Moreno. Oh, my God. Please let Jorge Moreno host fucking Paradise. I'll shit my pants. That'll be the happiest day of my life. I know. That would be the best thing ever. We could learn more about his backstory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're still living this long, dark nightmare between hosts. And this is the biggest change to the game that's ever happened in its history, not just over the course of the last year, since 2002. Nothing like this has remotely happened. And we are at an inflection point for the game. I don't want to say this, but it's possible. It's possible the game doesn't survive this. I think it's a very small percentage chance because of the money involved. But if they don't get this right, if they don't fix this problem, it is something that Mm -hmm. will eventually deteriorate the whole fucking show. They need a host. Doesn't have to be Dark Lord Harrison, obviously, but we have to see somebody now start that journey as the authority figure in this show from season to season to season to season. Obviously, they were going to have to replace Chris Harrison at some fucking point. He was getting old anyway. It's not like he has to be the guy, but you need that thing that is the same every season. You have to have it. So producers... Please make the decision quickly. Just fucking put somebody in there. It doesn't have to be Chris Harrison. I mean, contractually, it might have to be Chris Harrison, but I don't know what kind of paper the motherfucker has on it. probably should not be Chris Harrison. Like you're saying, they have to launch a new person at some point anyway. Do it now. This is the perfect time. They have a very reasonable reason to do it. He fucking blew himself up. Sorry. It sucks for him. He's got to go. And now, put someone else in that fucking seat. Start it at Paradise. Whoever it's going to be, make that person come in. Don't do auditions. Choose somebody and stick with them. Don't let them do like a season on Paradise. Well, we'll see how it works. We'll see if people like them. Don't fucking do that shit. You need an anchor and you need it now. Agreed. And... I think this is our number one most important moment of the pandemic. If he returns, this will be a less important moment in the history of the whole beloved game. It'll be a weird (laughs) year-long period. Year-long? Six months. We'll see. (laughs) Time will tell. 
But that was our top 10. We had a couple of other things that were important as well. This was basically season 16 of Bachelorette was a season of PTCs, unlike we had ever fucking seen in the history of the game. PTCs were flying left and right. The art group date with the Jorge Moreno Bystander of the Week, Natalia, where they had to draw nude portraits and reveal their traumas. <laughs> it was basically just like, okay, draw us a picture and tell us your PTC. And it was capped off with the first ever five-act PTC by Zach Clark. We also had Ben Smith talking about uh, his dealings with suicide and eating disorders. That was the first time we'd ever seen an eating disorder discussed by a man. And the first time, to our knowledge, that suicide was discussed on the show. So PTCs Mm -hmm. really took center stage that season. It also was the beginning of the professional era. Sluss and Pruitt opened a door in season 24, and Michelle Young and Katie Thurston kicked it in in season 25. We now have players who are using open strategy and using it well enough to get the crown. We got our first season of two back-to-back bachelorettes, or almost back-to-back bachelorettes, and they both were very clearly using strategies. (laughs) I rest (laughs) my case, your honor. They picked two fucking crowns, and they both were like high-level professional players. They both were overtly strategizing you have michelle young doing a kringle to matt james in her last episode where that had to be prepared before you had i mean thurston was posting on her instagram story vote on which dress and then months later being like that was actually my night one dress turns out like the level of preparation that both of them had done for the show is extraordinary and they were both rewarded katie thurston had four fucking hoojus. She had one one-on-one <laughs> date. She had four hoojus more than anyone that season. It's, I mean, come on. If anything says professional era, four hoojus says professional era. Look, when you're getting ready to do, you have to know that you're going to do a fucking hooju beforehand. Two of those were on group dates. She was in a pack of fucking players, had to sprint ahead of them to perform the fucking hooju. And then she did two hoojus in one one-on-one. That is, I mean, you talk about preparation. You have to know going into this that like every time I see this motherfucker, I'm hoojuing him no matter what. We've never seen anything like that. We have not, and a little little preview of my scream this week, I can guarantee that doing a hoodoo is very difficult. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, fuck, I can't wait for this. Oh, shit. But I will have to wait. 48 short hours, we will be back <laughs> with our This Week in Bachelor Nation, where Pace Case is going to tell her all about her hoodoo experiences, apparently. But Mm -hmm. thank you very much, everybody, for going through this top 10 list of the most important things that happened during the pandemic with us on this Tuesday afternoon. And thank you for sending in all the tids. We will be going through some of those in 48 short hours as well. And again, we talked about it a lot in this episode. If you want to listen to our Patreon episode that's about the Million Club Check that out, www.patreon.com slash Game of Roses. And as always, before we go, what is the Dwab at? It has been 6,979 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be our beloved game. Please rate this podcast. 
Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy. Co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 